0: Good day, and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David Brown and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Church. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit anglicandolby.org.au. Today's sermon focuses on the book of Jeremiah as part of our Prophets Minor and Major series. And today we're looking at chapter 31, beginning at verse 27 and ending at verse 34, which says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the kingdoms of Israel and Judah with the offspring of the people and of animals. Just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down and to overthrow, destroy and bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days, people will no longer say the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. For the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Heart Foundation claims that heart disease is the single leading cause of death in Australia. In 2017, heart disease was the underlying cause of death for 18,590 Australians, one every 28 minutes, and was a factor in one in every four deaths. The first human to human heart transplant was performed by South African cardiac surgeon, Christian Bernard in 1967. The patient died 18 days later from complications but since then heart transplants as with heart surgeries have been relatively successful. In fact today about 70% of patients who receive a heart transplant live for more than five years after their surgery. It's wonderful to see the Heart for Australia mobile heart clinic roll into Dolby every now and then knowing that lives will be saved there. While physical heart conditions affect millions of Australians I'd like to suggest today that our spiritual heart condition is much more important. Today's reading from Jeremiah 31 is part of what's often called the book of consolation. Like a doctor bringing bad news, Jeremiah is honest and clear about the sin in our lives, but offers what consolation he can. Look with me at verse 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Jeremiah is frank but assuring. Sin is the heart condition that brings evil and suffering into our world and creates distance between us and others, and between us and God. But there is hope. This week I got to read through the whole book of Jeremiah, and the thing that struck me most about the book is that it's real about the human condition. Ours is a heart condition, a tendency to do the wrong thing even when we don't want to and a tendency to prioritise ourselves over others. But at the same time, Jeremiah is probably one of the most optimistic books in the whole Bible, brimming with hope and promise for all people, promising a cure for the spiritual high condition we all face. So today we're going to look at our fatal affliction. We'll see God's promise of hope. We'll see there is a promise of justice that comes through Jesus. And finally, we'll see this as a promise we can hold on to not just for 18 days or even 5 years, but for eternal life. While Jeremiah 31 is full of hope, it's set during one of the darkest points in Jeremiah. As we've said before, Jeremiah jumps around a lot in the story of God's people. So while last week we looked at Jeremiah's letter to the exiles in chapter 29, this week's reading is set before that around the time of the Babylonians surrounding Jerusalem and destroying it. While the Babylonians pounced on the city, this judgment shouldn't come as a surprise. The Bible doesn't see the Babylonian invasion as a coincidence of geopolitics, anthropology and empire. It sees it as a case of broken covenant. In the Old Testament alone, the word covenant appears over 250 times. A covenant is not a contract. It's a promise between two parties to behave in a certain way, couched in a relationship. It's a partnership built on promise. A marriage is a covenant where both parties promise to remain faithful to one another and work together to thrive. It's sometimes taught that there are two covenants in the Bible, the old and the new, but in actual fact there are many. If you read the whole Bible, you'll see that it's a love story of a covenant-making God whose love is repeatedly rejected by his people. The first covenant we see in the Bible is the one made between God and Noah after God has judged the earth. God gives Noah a clean slate and a chance to start again, but very quickly Noah and his descendants go back to living in sin. The next covenant God makes is with Abraham, where God promises Abraham children, land and blessings. Sadly, within three generations, family politics and infighting brings them squabbling to Egypt where they are enslaved. Then God takes his people out of slavery into freedom and at Sinai he makes a covenant that he will bless and protect his people and they are to serve him and bless others. But as soon as the people are left to their own devices, they build a golden calf for themselves and worship it. The fourth covenant is between God and King David where God promises that he will not fail to establish a king from David's descendants. But predictably, no sooner is this covenant made Then David slips into bed with another man's wife, murders her husband, and covers it up. The story of the Bible is littered with promises made by God and promises broken by people. As the Babylonians surrounded the city, I imagine some of the people in Jerusalem were beginning to feel the weight of their affliction. Promise after promise, covenant after covenant had failed. The people could not stop sinning. They kept breaking covenant and walking away from God's call to partner with him. It's here that the Bible has so much to teach us about ourselves. We all have this fatal heart affliction, this tendency to do things we know in our hearts are wrong and to leave the good we'd like to do left undone. But sin is a great leveller. We're all broken people who stuff up all the time. No one is perfect. And while the story of the Bible is real about sin, it also offers real hope. Thankfully, Jeremiah 31 is brimming with hope. Look with me at verse 27. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the offspring of men and animals. Just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down and to overthrow, destroy and bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. As God has watched his people uproot, tear down, overthrow, and destroy one another, so he will actively replant and rebuild both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. God promises his people that he will restore them. God's not passively watching from afar as this happens. As he sent prophet after prophet to warn his people, so he will work alongside his people to restore them and reestablish them. There is another reason to be hopeful about this new thing God is doing. This will be a covenant that the people will be able to keep this time. While the former covenants put the onus on people to keep their side of the bargain, with this new covenant, God offers us help. In Deuteronomy, God tells his people to write the promises of the Sinai covenant on their hearts. Here God says he will personally write it on their hearts. God promises to help us keep our side of the bargain. This should give us hope. You can imagine the thoughts that the people might have been having as they braced themselves for Jerusalem's fall. It seems God's covenants have failed, and perhaps God has given up on the people altogether. But here are glimmers of hope, and we see them throughout the Bible. People who are temporarily filled with God's Spirit, who perform mighty acts for God people who walk so closely with God that he helps them to live well. Now God promises that he will do this with a united people. He will be their God and they will be his people. Another vital aspect of this promise of renewal is that it's a promise of justice. Look at verse 29. In those days, people will no longer say the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. A big difference between the old covenants and the new one is that the new covenant is deeply personal. In the story of the Bible, God redeems a people and tells them to obey him. But Exodus 34 shows us how judgment through the former covenants is meted out through the generations. Exodus 34, 6-7 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands of generations and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Part of the problem for those living in Jerusalem during the time of the invasion from Babylon is that they were reaping what their forefathers had sown. The idolatry and wickedness of past kings was biting them, a retribution that was being felt through generations. We often see in our world today that cycles of sin are passed down through generations. Yesterday at our men's breakfast, Dr. Ross Maxwell shared how many people are in prison because of injuries or addictions passed down from their parents. A mother who drinks and takes drugs while she's pregnant may disable her child, who then gets into fights later in life and ends up in jail. A father who beats his children and abuses them will begin a cycle of abuse that his children may fall into. The fathers eat sour grapes and the children are left with a bad taste in their mouths. This seems unjust, but this is the reality of sin. It makes life so unfair. So often future generations pay for the faults of their fathers. Someone has to pay. And for God to be just, judgment has to fall on someone. The first covenants were corporate covenants made by the whole community for all generations. Blessings were passed down through generations, but so were curses. But the new covenant will be different. Instead, everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. The new covenant is a corporate offering of redemption for a whole people of God but it's also deeply personal. In this new time, cycles of destruction will be broken. People will be held accountable for their own sin, and they won't be able to blame past generations or tell God he is unjust for judging them for the sins they do not commit. The people are stuck in a cycle of sin, judgment, and suffering for things they didn't do, and they're looking for someone to blame or a way out. In the new covenant... God offers us a way out. So what is this way out? How will this restoration happen? Well, this is a matter of debate, but what Christians can agree on is that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the new covenant. Jeremiah's people were carried off into exile, but 70 years later they were released and returned to their lands. The walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt, but the same problems cropped up. A free country and a free economy weren't the answer, and it didn't establish a new covenant community Jeremiah had promised. Babylon wasn't the last foreign power to invade and take Israel. Many empires followed, bringing destruction and hopelessness. Many gave up on God and capitulated to the surrounding culture, but some, some clung to the promises of God, and hoped that one day he would establish his new covenant. 500 years passed, and a faithful remnant kept reading and memorizing and hoping that one day God would bring about this new covenant he promised in Jeremiah. Suddenly a man named Jesus from Nazareth comes on the scene, and amazing things begin to happen. People are healed, hearts are turned back to God, and lives are changed. Then one Passover night, A night when the Jews remembered God's promises, Jesus takes a piece of bread and a cup of wine and says, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant, In my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus is saying, I'm ushering in the new covenant. I'm fulfilling the promises God makes in Jeremiah 31. As we take communion at church, we are remembering Jesus initiating the new covenant. Notice how Jesus doesn't reject, but fulfills the old covenants. He comes from the line of Noah and Abraham. He is totally obedient to the law given at Mount Sinai. And he is God's chosen king from the line of David who will rule forever. Jesus stands in our place. And where we fail to keep our side of the covenants, Jesus drinks the cup of wrath in our place. Jesus fills the covenants on our behalf. Jesus doesn't ignore the old covenant. He fulfills it and makes a way for sinful people like you and me To be made righteous, so God's Holy Spirit can fill us and write God's law on our hearts. This is the power of the progressive revelation of the Bible. Throughout the Bible, God is slowly revealing more and more about Himself to us, showing us more and more about His character. Through salvation history, God shows us more and more about His love for us, and shows us why we need Jesus. We couldn't keep our side of the bargain. By ourselves. But Jesus knew that, so he was prepared to go to the cross and die for you, so you could benefit from all the promises of the new covenant. How awesome is that? Jesus makes it possible for God to say in verse 34 For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Friends, do you know what this means? It means that we are new covenant people. We can ask God to write his laws on our hearts, and the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and does exactly that. We can pray to Jesus and ask him to break the generational curses in our lives so that what has been passed down to us needn't define us. He does this. We have a promise we can hold on to. During the week, I attended a spiritual retreat. I was feeling a bit distant from God so on one of the days I was sitting in a bush chapel asking God in my heart for him to fill me and to speak to me and then some drops landed on my knee. I thought it was rain but the sky was clear so I looked up and there in the tree was a koala asleep. It was really windy but the koala didn't care. It just held on to his branch, the branch that God had given it in total trust. In that moment, I thank God for the koala wee on my knee and reflected on how we need to hold on to his promises like that koala held on to his branch. We need to trust God with our whole lives. Friends, Jeremiah may have been written to Jews under siege 2,500 years ago, but there's gold in here for us today. Here's a reminder that often when things are most dark, God's light shines brightest. Our biggest problem in the world today is not out there, it's in here. It's in our hearts. We need to entrust our hearts, our lives, our whole selves to Jesus, knowing that his promises are the only way to forgiveness, wholeness and salvation that every heart is looking for. Let's live as new covenant people, trusting Jesus with our whole lives and living in covenant partnership with God. Amen.